On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, it's called, and the winter feels like it's just an extension of an already hard 12 months, at least here in the Northeast. So let's focus on the positives, shall we? That means quality control and doing good by the community. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast, episode 14, and welcome to the dead of winter. The good news is that spring is right around the corner, and that brighter days are ahead. This is always a time of year that, for me at least, I like to find some good things to focus on and put my energy towards, be it growth or meaningful change. And so with that in mind, I'm happy that on the show this month is Amy Todd. She's the owner and an analyst of Zymology Labs in Vermont. And Tim Schwartzhauer of Dingo Dog Brewing, a non-profit brewery in North Carolina. I'll talk with both of them in a moment. But first, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aroma define this blend, crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. Sativa is ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs, or for other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine aromatics are desired. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more, or call 1-800-374-2739. Also, it's brought to you by, this show is brought to you by, ABS Commercial. ABS Commercial is giving back to the craft beer community. ABS will be selecting one lucky brewer who will receive a free Keg Viking Keg Washer. ABS has given away two keg washers to date, one to Rough Edges Brewing in Pennsylvania and another to Lazy Horse Brewing in Nebraska. The third keg washer winner will be announced on June 4th live on the ABS Commercial Facebook page. To enter the contest, visit abs-commercial.com. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. With their turnkey 3.5 barrel gas-fired or electric brew house systems starting at only $16,999, you won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters. ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up that are of interest to small-scale craft breweries. February 26th, author John Palmer helps you tackle brewing water adjustments. On March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you about yeast techniques and lab skills. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Ardra Guzanas on the startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on all three upcoming nano boot camps can be found at byo.com bootcamps. So there's a lot of things to worry about as a small brewer, and quality control should be at the top of the list. With that in mind, I called up Amy Todd of Zymology Labs in Vermont to talk about what she recommends small brewers can do to get off on the right foot, put into practice, and be constantly thinking about to make sure that the best beer possible gets out the door and stays in optimal condition. She spoke to me from Vermont. We talk a lot about quality 
when it comes to craft beer and the need for a quality product to go out. You know, there, there's obviously a lot of inventiveness uh, that comes with creating recipes and trying out different ingredients and getting consumer uh, eyeballs and taste buds to, to, to try new things. But quality is paramount. But I think in talking with brewers over the years, especially the smaller ones, there seems to be a little bit of nervousness when it comes to setting up a QC program, not only for, you know, thinking like, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're bigger now. Um, but also, you know, th there's worries about finances as well. And people say, oh, you know, I can't, I can't afford, you know, a, a, a QC program for, for smaller breweries. Where do you suggest they start when it comes to QC programs? If they, if they really haven't put one in place yet. Yeah, I definitely um, understand that and get, you know, that, that nervous. I come from a, a science background, so it always kind of came naturally to me. But, you know, I just from working with other brewers and stuff, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there was a time when I was like, oh, wait, other people don't just this isn't just kind of, you know, come to them. And so it's always, you know, people have bad memories of chemistry class in high school. And I have fond <laughs> memories of that, you know, so so that, that's like the number one thing that I want brewers to know is that it doesn't have to be daunting. It doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, you don't have to have uh, a chemistry degree or a science degree. You know, if you can you know, brew beer consistently, you know, you, you can start a quality program, you know, uh, all your batches are basically, you know, kind of like mini experiments. And, uh, you know, as long, I, I think it's a big kind of mindset, you know, just, just having that quality focus in mind, um, you know, and you can start small, you know, you don't have to have, you know, a full size lab to be focused on quality. Uh, and, you know, the big things are just, start small and the earlier you kind of start then the less kind of daunting and you know less expensive it, it can be you know as you grow your quality program as your brewery grows um you know you know that's a great way to do it um definitely one of the the first things i would suggest for brewers to do is just get uh, all their paperwork in order you know make sure everything's organized make sure it's searchable. Uh, you know, I know with small scale brewing, it can be easy to, you know, be like, oh, okay, like, I'll remember that, you know, that was, yeah. you know, the IPA that I brewed earlier this week, like, you know, you have a new lot for your hops or something, you like, okay, I'll remember that I, you know, changed that lot on that batch or, you know, but two weeks later, when your beer is done, you're probably not going to remember it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a small scale, you know, maybe you do remember it, you do write it down. But it's only, you know, you're only going to get busier as you go. Right. I mean, you know, some, some brewers are very happy to, to stay small, but, you know, a lot of them are plant, you know, they have plans to get bigger. So, you know, if you are always in the habit of making sure you write everything down right away and you take all those, those really detailed notes, then, you know, you can go back to it later. Um, you know, I know plenty of brewers who, you know, they might have, uh, you know, a batch record, um, you know, a brew sheet that they, they print out for every beer. Uh, but, you know, maybe they're only kind of half filling it in or, you know, they're just, you know, penciling things in and, you know, there's one sheet line over here and there's another sheet over there. You know, having that that organized into a binder or, you know, Google Sheets, uh, you know, is a great way to keep everything organized. You know, just it's easier to look back through things. Um, 
you know, yeah, like, you know, it takes a couple of weeks for, for beer to, to finish or longer if you've got a lager or, you know, some sort of a specialty beer. And, you know, you're not necessarily going to remember what happens or even, you know, like if it's a stout that you brew once a year, you know, go back to your notes, you know, when you're brewing it next time and say, oh, yeah, that was like a really long runoff. So this time I'm going to, you know, do this instead. And, you know, the quality, you know, it can help you too. You know, quality is not just, you know, a big part is definitely making sure that you're, uh, you know, providing a great tasting, consistent, shelf-stable product. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also want to make your life easier too, you know. So quality could even just be, you know, that you have, you know, you've come up with a better method of, of doing a runoff or, you know, when you're writing that down and just, you know, always be improving, always be, you know, trying to, to work towards a better beer. Yeah, and 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 I think striving for that is certainly important. But it, it, it's interesting because so many small brewers, nano brewers, are coming from a home brewing background where mm-hmm. um, you know, sanitary conditions are paramount. You know, like we talk about cleanliness. Um, you know, the importance of making sure that everything is uh, infection free and making sure that everything is is, is sanitized properly. Um, sanitation is different from quality. And, and quality control, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and on a bigger scale, it's, it's definitely different. Um, you know, I've, I've seen brewers, too, like take samples off of a tank, you know, from a sample port and, you know, not even spray down the sample port. Uh, you know, so there's just like little <laughs> things like that. You know, you want to be spraying down the sample ports before and after you're taking your sample, you know, if you don't spray it down after you can, you know, beer is going to get stuck. And, you know, when you have the opportunity for stuff to be coming out, you know, something can be going in as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's all the, you know, we're, we're living in a COVID world right now. And, you know, there's all this, you know, teeny tiny viruses and bacteria that you can't see, but it's there and it can, it can infect something and it can easily spread. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, with with micro, um, sometimes it can take a long time for you to notice something. Um, micro is kind of a harder one for, you know, small brewers, nano brewers to get mm-hmm. started on. Um, I often recommend brewers starting with with HLP, um, which is a media that tests for lactobacillus and pediococcus. It does not require an autoclave, which is a really nice thing about it. Okay. And uh, lactobacillus and pediococcus are the two most common uh, beer spoilers, at least, um, uh, you know, flavor wise uh, mm-hmm. that can be in a brewery. So, you know, that's a, it's a quick, easy way to, to at least screen for that. Uh, you know, the other really big issue uh, brewers are facing, you know, in the sanitation um, diastaticus, uh, you know, and a lot of things with yeah. these micros, they can, you know, they're everywhere, you know, there's lactobacillus in your, your grain malt, um, you know, just a lot of these things just live in breweries. So you always have to, you know, anything that touches the floor does not just get sprayed down. You know, it has to go back in the caustic bath before it can touch a tank and, you know, just always make sure things are being cleaned and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, being able to then trace back and to understand where something was introduced, um, you know, if heaven forbid it, it, it was, um, can also help you down the line to, solve the problem pretty quickly right yeah definitely you know and that kind of comes back to taking those really detailed notes you know like when you know this beer was transferred on this day 
you know, so maybe what else were you doing on that day? You know, like, were you also, you know, moving another beer? Were you also brewing a new beer? You know, maybe something, those two beers somehow came in contact, you know, when, you know, further down. Um, Because, yeah, it might be months before, you know, like a diastaticus infection could take, you know, it could be three or four months that you're you're finding it. Um, And by then, you know, it can be really hard to figure out, like, okay, well, what was happening four months ago? You know, so having those, uh, those detailed notes can, can be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's been some high profile cases of diastasis in, in, in the past. Um, and that's sort of, we're talking about finished beer in a lot of ways, but what about ingredient inspection? Like before it goes into the beer, you know, and some of the visual things that people can do and you know, brewers can do and, you know, to sort of have a better understanding of you know, what they might be in, either introducing to their beer or just have a better knowledge of what's going in. Yeah, do you, I mean, you mean like normal brewing ingredients? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, we can food? we can we can talk about uh, Skittles and Swedish Fish in uh, in a few <laughs> minutes, but um, but yeah, I was I was just thinking about the four main ingredients mm-hmm. of beer. <laughs> yeah, what a, what well, a twenty twenty one response to uh, what I thought was a simple <laughs> question. So thank you for reminding yeah. me how wacky beer is these days. Um, before I forget, I did actually just want to uh, mention real quick, kind of going back to the um, sanitation thing, mm-hmm. uh, doing like titrations after you clean everything too, cleaning tanks, um, you know, your, your chemical supplier is going to, you know, they'll have titration kits that you can get through them. Um, just make sure that you're using the right amount of chemical, you know, you don't want to be using too much, uh, you know, you could have residue stuff left, um, you don't want to be using too little, but keeping track too of, um, you know, what those results of your titrations are and knowing, you know, when you cleaned the tank, who cleaned it, you know, how long, what temperature. So, you know, when, when troubleshooting infections, you can kind of go back to and just be like, okay, so 20 minutes doesn't work. You know, I need to up that to, yeah. to you know, whatever. Okay. So uh, coming <laughs> back to ingredients, um, you know, a simple thing is tasting your water. Uh, that's, you know, one thing a lot of a lot of brewers don't do. Um, you know, it's just easy to kind of take water for granted. Um, but that's something that you want to you want to check on, you know, and then kind of think about your water source too. you know, um, especially for smaller brewers. Um, you know, if they're kind of in more rural areas, maybe their water's changing throughout the year, too. Uh, and that can have uh, affect your beer kind of further down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your grain, you know, you're going to want to be visually inspecting it, taste it, smell it, look at it, you know, make sure there aren't any, nothing uh, visible climbing around in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, storing things too. You want to store your grain up off the ground. You don't want it to be, you know, sitting directly on the floor if possible. Um, you know, sealing things up. You know, it's hard with a, you know, on a small scale, you're going to probably, you know, not necessarily be using, you know, a whole bag of pops or, you know, a whole bag of specialty malt. So yeah. you're going to want to have a good way to, you know, kind of close those things up, store them properly, you know, with hops. Um, you know, again, you're going to want to be smelling those, paying attention to if there's any changes in the, the alpha acid, you know, with different lots, um, you know, visual inspection, you know, and, uh, you can keep notes too, you know, on all those. So, you know, again, that can be kind of hard if there's like very slight changes, you know, you might not notice from time to time. And then, uh, you know, it gets to a point where, where then something has drastically changed. Um, yeast can be a little bit harder. Um, yeah. 
you know, you can definitely be smelling it. Um, you know, it's, it's really not that hard to, uh, you know, do cell counts. Um, you know, I think that's another one that kind of might intimidate brewers a little bit, but you can get everything that you need to do cell counts for under $500. Uh, you know, you can get a microscope on Amazon for $200. Microscope's just a good thing to have in general, not just for cell counts, but, you know, if you do start uh, doing some micro, you can, uh, you know, identify it a little bit better using a microscope. But, um, you know, just, uh, you know, counting the number of cells, you know, and a lot of brewers will, you know, pitch like a pound of yeast per barrel of beer. But, you know, a pound of yeast isn't doesn't always have the same number of cells in it every time. Yeah. You know, that can vary greatly. Um, so, you know, you really want to be pitching a consistent amount of yeast, uh, you know, especially if you're using like a liquid yeast and reusing it. Um, yeah. And the viability of the yeast, too. Uh, you know, that's a quick little stain and, you know, probably takes about a half hour to, to do your cell counts and your viability and just take notes of everything and. Yeah. I mean, when you're even just saying like, you know, this can cost a couple of hundred dollars for, you know, various pieces of equipment. I mean, I I imagine most of us have taken brewery tours at some point where we're walking through some really well-known, really well-funded breweries that have, you know, equipment that is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, if not more. Um, And it's fun to look at and it's fun Mm -hmm. to dream. But setting up just a basic lab in your own brewery and understanding how to use the equipment um, is not really going to break the bank in the, in the grand scheme of things, especially if it means, you know, you're not going to have to recall beer later on or dump batches later on. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. And like, you know, the microscope, the document control, getting a sensory program, you know, that's, that's not really going to cost you anything. Uh, You know, the big thing with that is just kind of training. But, you know, uh, a sensory program, you know, it can be even more valuable than, you know, a really expensive piece of equipment. You know, the really big, big breweries, you know, they're going to have sensory departments and, you know, they've got GCs that, you know, can, you know, that's going to be a hundred thousand dollars that can tell you maybe the same thing that a trained sensory panel can tell you. Right. So, you know, for looking for, you know, off flavors or, you know, a big thing with sensory is just true to brand too. Um, checking on that consistency, especially for, you know, smaller breweries. Uh, and that's another thing that you want to make sure that you're writing things down, uh, you know, instead of just saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I taste my beers, of course, you know, I taste them before I put them out. But, you know, having a, a formalized way of going through and doing that. And again, you know, as you grow, it's going to get harder to keep up on it. But if you, you know, that's just part of your process, you know, you always, fill out a sensory evaluation form every time, you know, at this stage, every time the beer moves or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, you have that ingrained in you. So as you grow, you can, you know, really work on that. Um, You know, you can do a Google form, you know, for free on your phone and, you know, whoever you want to, you know, just a quick, you know, like, okay, is the beer true to brand? How's the aroma? You know, take any notes that are, you know, kind of unusual. Then you can even, you know, go back to those notes and be like, okay, well, this beer kind of, you know, taste it a little more hoppy than usual and, you know, go back to your detailed brewing records and say, oh, that was the one that I, you know, accidentally dumped in an extra, you know, I, I overhopped that one or, you know, something <laughs> and then, you know, and maybe that's better. And Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many brewers are going to say, oh, darn, I overhopped something right, these days, yeah. <laughs> but that's... Uh, um, 
earlier in this conversation, you mentioned uh, two words that are are really near and dear to my heart, and that's shelf stable. Uh, In the pandemic, certainly we've seen more brewers uh, change from uh, draft or taproom only offerings and trying to package beer and get it out to people, not only to keep the lights on, but to keep top of mind in front of consumers. Um, And there's been a rush into it. And obviously there's a a lot of different options and people are still filling by hand. Uh, They're either buying systems or using uh, mobile canners, but um, you know, even smaller breweries, uh, nanos that were only thinking about being taproom only and maybe doing crawlers or growlers um, are now suddenly getting into the package game and, and thinking about longer term from, from, from your perspective, what should they be thinking about even well before they put something in a can to put out into the world or a bottle, you know, before they put it out into the world? Yeah, definitely. You know, making sure they've got a handle on, on sanitation. Um, you know, I, I would probably have a micro program in place before, you know, I start packaging uh, and sending beer out into the world. Um, you know, if that's not really an option, another thing you should definitely be doing is having a keeping a beer library. So mm-hmm. anytime you're packaging anything, set, you know, at least a six pack aside. Uh, you know, more if you can, maybe keep some warm, keep some cold, you know, and check on it periodically. You know, add that in your sensory panel too, you know, so how does this beer taste, you know, two months, does it still taste fresh or, you know, and just kind of keep an eye on how that beer might be changing over time. Um, You know, you can kind of continuously check your, you know, gravities and pH maybe over time from your your library samples, Uh, you know, sensory wise, you know, how's the CO2? Is that you know, increasing the, you know, that's definitely a big indicator of uh, some re-fermentation. And then, you know, yeah, if you have consumer complaints, you know, most of the time it's it's probably nothing, but, you know, then you can go back to your beer library and, you know, take a sample and, um, you know, see see if you're noticing the same thing or maybe, you know, your customer is describing it as something um, that you wouldn't describe it as, um, you know, so that's good to kind of get the same uh, language there. But um, yeah, the big thing, you know, sanitation and know your ingredients too. know like mm-hmm. what you're actually putting in, you know, instead of just yeah, know yeah, your skittles. the grocery store. Yeah. Know your skittles, you know, there's sugar in there, fruit, there's sugar in there. Um, you know, one of the things with the purees too is um, sometimes, you know, you, you know, you got to worry about there being more sugar and a more re-fermentation, but sometimes those are diluting your beers too. You know, there's, there's that extra volume too, you know. I know there's been a lot of exploding cans, but, you know, a while back there was also, you know, a lot of brewers and their alcohol was like way off. Mm -hmm. You know, the can said, you know, 8% and they were like 3% or. Or vice versa. Yeah. I have no idea how that happens, but. Yeah. Well, um, that's a, that's a question for the Midwest, but yeah. 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 And I mean, if you don't have the way to test these things yourself, you know, there's plenty of third party labs all over the U.S., you know, so it's, it's easy to get things tested if you're unsure, but, you know, just having that really close close, you know, eye on things and, and don't just, uh, you know, you can't put it on your consumer yeah. and you expect your consumer to, you know, drink fresh and, you know, people, especially with the pandemic, you know, people are shipping things all over and, you know, you might have, a, you know, when you're shipping to your customers, you're making sure things are cold and overnighted, but, you know, this customer might then get that and then trade with somebody else who, you know, lives across the country. And yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously you're one of those third party labs and, you know, we want people to to go and, and, and check you out and I'm going to give all those details in, in, in just a minute. But, um, you know, you're, you're saying all of this and, and it also, sometimes when you start hearing consumer complaints, or if you have a, a beer library and you get two months into something and you notice, uh Oh, this has changed or, Mm -hmm. you know, six months in and maybe now it is showing diastasis. Um, even before you ship out your first packaged beer, it does make good sense, I imagine, to have a recall plan in place. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you obviously yeah. never want to use it, but not right. having one sets uh-huh. you back even further. Right. And a lot of, you know, quality control stuff is just being able to be proactive instead of reactive about things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely having that recall plan in place is, is going to be huge. Just being able to know you know, where your stuff is going. Um, you know, the distributors are, you know, they deal with this too, you know, so, so they're probably going to be a good resource just to, you know, where to help you out, you know, like, so if your beer, you know, yeah, have a plan. So if your beer is still in-house, what do you do with it? If it's gone to your distributor, what what do you do with it? If it's already, you know, out at stores, but yeah, so really knowing kind of where your beers are going to be, how you're going to get them back if you need to, um, and kind of assessing, you know, the situation, like, is it, you know, uh, a safety concern, you know, such as exploding cans, um, mm-hmm. could be, uh, you know, most likely it's not going to be a health concern. Um, except you could have, you know, higher alcohol than, than you think. Um, but there aren't any known, there's, you know, no known pathogens so far that have been found in beer. Um, but you know, brewers are also pushing the limits with what they're putting in beer. So, yeah. you know, who knows, um, what will happen down the line? Well, I, I will point out to the brewers that are listening that you earn so much more goodwill from consumers if you are proactive and that if you mm-hmm. can get out in front of this, uh, as opposed to either hiding it or hope nobody notices or really being caught unawares by, you know, somebody calling you out for, uh, for something that sticks. So you know, being proactive buys you goodwill and makes it less of a story and shows your commitment to beer. So we need more breweries doing that. And yeah. that's just my and, little editorial soapbox. Yeah. And the Brewers Association has some good resources too. Um, if you're, I don't know if you need to be a member for that or not, but, um, they've got some, some good stuff to, to walk you through getting started with that. And again, you know, that's, yeah, start, start as soon as you can with that. You know, you don't want to be a, you know, a 30,000 barrel brewery that all of a sudden needs to recall something, you know, if you kind of start having that plan and kind of grow it, you know, revisit it often too. Yeah. As your brewery changes and as, you know, as you start expanding to more places and, you know, it's, if you've got beer in other States, it can be, you know, a lot harder to, to have a handle on that and, you know, where things are going and yeah, you, lose all control once you're well not all control but you know, <laughs> once the brewery leaves your you know once the beer leaves your brewery you know um yeah it's no longer yours to, yeah. yeah but it carries your name right and that's yeah. uh and, and that's... your reputation and so you know for people who are new to this or small or thinking about growing um you know i I want you to sort of tell us you know what's the benefit of a of a third party you know lab such as yours and you know what you all bring to the table. Yeah, just, uh, you know, the big thing is a 
equipment. You know, I got my start at Magic Hat Brewery. Uh, oh, I've heard of them. Like, yeah, <laughs> 10 years ago <laughs> or so. Um, and I, you know, remember thinking like, you know, well, what do small breweries do? Like when they don't have all of this, you know, great lab equipment and, you know, fast forward a few years and I left the beer world. I was working in ice cream for a bit and then uh, trying to get back into the beer world. And, you know, I was like, well, I want to, you know, be able to help these these small breweries, uh, you know, especially the ones that, you know, are going from home brewer to brewer and, and don't necessarily have that experience of being in a brewery. And, um, you know, just, you know, there's different things, you know, with it in a commercial scale. Um, so kind of just kind of guidance too when getting started in the lab. But, you know, the big thing is, you know, kind of that, you know, it doesn't make sense for a small brewery to, you know, have an alkalizer or have a UV viz. Um, to test, you know, their IBUs if they're only going to be, you know, one or two a month, maybe, or, yeah. you know, so it doesn't really make sense for a lot of this equipment until you're, you know, at like the 30,000 barrel range, you know, um, so just kind of getting stuff tested, you know, like maybe new beers you have, you know, tested once or maybe every quarter just to, you know, make thing, make sure things are you know, consistent, um, you know, the big thing with alcohol is that, you know, a lot of people are just basing on calculations. There's plenty of different calculations out there. They're not all accurate, especially, you know, the higher in alcohol that you go. So, you know, I think that's a big one to, you know, make sure that you know that one, uh, you're required to be within plus or minus 0.3% of what you put on your label. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you think your alcohol is 6% and then you, find out later that it's actually eight and then so do you change the you change the the label or do you change the beer and you know customers aren't going to like either so good to just know from the start well i could keep going and going and going but uh we're just about out of time so i will tell everybody that uh amy todd is the owner of Zymology Labs, an independent beer tasting lab focused on helping brewers improve the quality and consistency of their beers through education and analytical testing. And important to point out, if you want to hear more from Amy, which I'm sure you do, that she's going to be leading, leading an online boot camp for us uh, on the subject on May 7th and also has a column coming up in the magazine. So check both of those out at BYO.com. And you can learn more about Amy's company by visiting Zymology Labs. Dot com. Um, Amy, thanks so much for, for taking the time. This was, uh, I could go for hours um, on this subject, and uh, I know we only really scratched the surface, but I hope people got a lot out of it and go and seek yeah. out more. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again to this episode's sponsors. Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions, crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Also, by ABS Commercial, which will be selecting one lucky brewery who will receive a free Keg Viking keg washer. Enter the contest by visiting abs-commercial.com. And with superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. People start breweries for all kinds of reasons, but there are a growing number of brewing operations that are focused solely on the greater good of the world around them. 
He'll tell you a story in a minute, but my guest for this month's brewery profile is Tim Schwartzauer. He's a founder of Dingo Dog Brewing in North Carolina, which is a non-profit brewery that seeks to help animals. The work that he and his brewing partner, Billy Gagan, are doing now ensures that the giving will continue long after they're gone. He spoke to me from North Carolina. The nonprofit aspect of small breweries is, is so intriguing to me because it, it, it really shows that you have a deeper purpose beyond just making the beer. And so I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about where Dingo Dog came from and its evolution from conception to finally execution. Yeah. Um, well, first it was, it was named after my, well, he passed away in 2019, but he was about 20 year old rescue cattle dog named Dingo. Um, the idea came to me you know, probably close to a decade ago. Uh, now, um, my family in Mississippi opened a no-kill animal rescue sanctuary after Hurricane Katrina. Wow. Basically, uh, we got involved with uh, national groups that were doing you know, animal rescue for animals that had been abandoned or lost or separated or what have you. And uh, eventually, the national groups moved on, and there were several dogs and cats and even a couple of birds that were left behind. And... Uh, my mother and stepfather at the time uh, decided to open uh, Animal Rescue Fund in Mississippi, and they still run it today. It has since grown into the largest no-kill private uh, animal rescue sanctuary in Mississippi. Wow. And so um, I went to college in uh, Jackson there, and I helped to run it all through college and everything a little bit after college. And so I kind of got intimately familiar with the plight and struggle of, you know, animal rescue when you have this moral compulsion to uh, do the work you're doing, but no real support. So like, you know, they, when you have a nonprofit animal rescue, there's not a whole lot of government support. And especially in uh, some states like Mississippi and across the South, there are very lax regulations and laws about it in general. Yeah. And I imagine like after, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, I imagine yeah. like after like a big event like Katrina, where there's a lot of public attention being paid to it, like that helps. But once the public moves on, it's focused to something else that that becomes right. difficult. Yeah. And I mean, and the shelter became more than just a Katrina sanctuary. So, I mean, over the years, it has grown and it has just become a full scale sanctuary taking in neglected, abused, tortured animals and uh, rehoming them. And, uh, you know, and it's, we have a wonderful amount of support for it. We always have, uh, but the nature of donations to things like this is so ebb and flow while the work is literally every day of the year, there's no vacation, there's no days off, no holidays. Um, and, you know, you have to, you have to be able to fund it. You have to have, you know, full-time employees and everything doing the work because, as much as you enjoy volunteer work or workers and everything, it's not consistent enough to rely on. So I had been kicking around this idea for years all through business school and everything about how to set up, you know, a profit generating business that then directs its money to nonprofit activities, like how to provide a more steady and more reliable or just a, you know, available for, emergency capital outlays, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I had, I had, you know, played around with different business models and different types of things. And then I moved to North Carolina for um, work in 2011. And I kind of moved into the state that has just this wonderful beer culture, this amazing beer culture. Uh, the, you know, the rules are set up so here, much better so than Mississippi, where there wasn't really a craft brewing scene at all. Yeah. And so I kind of fell into it. I got to know some of the brewers and brewery owners. And, you know, you go out on any kind of weekend and there would be head owners sitting on all the patios of these breweries, drinking outside and doing all this stuff. And it just seemed like a natural fit, a natural combination. You know, beer and dogs and things just go together really well. <laughs> and I had been home brewing for 15 or so years or whatever. And, you know, parts of clubs and doing with friends, all kinds of things. And so I started putting in research. I started doing, you know, lots of reading. I would read everything I could. I would take every online class I could find. I would sit at rapt attention listening to breweries and going to talks and panels and things. And so in 2014, we um, incorporated Dingo Dog Brewing and started looking for a location. Mm -hmm. And we just happened upon uh, Plowgirl Farm. It's a woman-owned organic produce farm in Orange County, North Carolina, just outside of Chapel Hill and Carborough. And Sally Joe, the owner of Plowgirl Farm, had this gorgeous wooden, old, rough-hewn wood, oak wood horse barn. <laughs> and she was looking for new tenants that were not and, that were uh, not horses that were not horses gotcha. she, she had had enough of the horses she didn't want to do the horse thing anymore <laughs> so we worked out a deal with sally and uh you know a few months later we poured our concrete and made our trenches we removed the horse stalls which have now been turned into our bar top in our tap room that's cool and uh yeah it's a, i really like that feature and so we created we kind of included into our business plan here on top of the nonprofit thing being a farmhouse brewery, a true farmhouse brewery on a working farm. Um, so we incorporated other features into it, like using, you know, running our wastewater back out onto the hay fields to grow hay and things like that. So we're not having to pump and haul or just eat lodging sewage or anything like that. So That's all really of our cool. clean water, all of our clean water goes into a cistern, you know, it gets cleaned and it goes back out. Uh, you know, we also provide Sally with a, you know, a new revenue stream in the form of, you know, vegetables and produce that may not sell at market because there's some imperfection or something. It doesn't matter to us. And so we take a lot of what she grows on the farm and turn it into unique beers and ciders and things because we can, you know, just find new creative uses. Like one of my favorite beers to make every summer is our Bloody Mary Wheat Ale using tomatoes grown there on the farm, black peppercorn celery seed. And it tastes very much like a Bloody Mary. Wow. And so it gives us, you know, a whole new creative, uh, you know, set of ideas here on how to expand and do funky things like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, especially being able to incorporate or, you know, to, to, to really kind of focus on that zero waste aspect of it. Because I know that's something that a lot of people talk about, but it's 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 a really difficult thing to put into practice. Um, and so over the years that you've been open, ha have there been evolutions you know, to the zero waste initiative that you have? Uh, there's certainly evolutions. I mean, we, we still have, you know, the basic thing, you know, all of our spent grain gets used as fertilizer on the farm. It gets composted and fertilized. Our wastewater gets cleaned and reused. 
we're currently looking at ways to incorporate solar power so our whole system becomes solar powered. Uh, so all of our electrical needs will be solar powered in the future. Uh, wow, so that's ambitious. That. Yeah, I mean, and especially we, for uh, a brewery your size, because you're you're running off of a, a still a fairly small system. Yeah, we. I mean, we are a one and a half barrel brew house that brews twice to fill three barrel tanks. We're very very small. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of investment opportunity there for a nonprofit brewery. So we uh, we started small, kind of grew organically. Um, we started off doing nothing but wholesale to accounts and things off of our small size. And then um, just this past year, uh, a little bit before Thanksgiving, we finally opened our first tap room in town. And so we're just kind of, you know, trying to grow naturally as we can. So that way we can, as we increase sales and increase all these other things, you know, we, the idea behind it is that everything after our operating costs and we pay ourselves nothing in salary. We just don't get paid anything purely for nonprofit purposes. Yeah. And uh, we, we we're hoping that the money created by our taproom sales will then endow the charity, our mother company charity, Dingo Dog Charitable Trust. And as that endowment grows, the money generated by that endowment then serves as grants to no-kill animal rescues, animal sanctuaries, spay and neuter clinics, education outreach, you know, these kind of things. And that way, by doing it that way, if anything ever happens to the brewery or long after we're gone, the charity can still continue to fund these things. When you They're have... Purely yeah. When, when you have a business model like that, though, where everything is being funneled into a charitable trust, um, I, I, I imagine that that creates all new hurdles, all new loopholes, um, especially in the beverage alcohol space to, to sort of navigate. Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely made it a little bit more difficult on ourselves. I think um, <laughs> it's really something that a, a lot of people outside of the industry probably you know, would never think to realize and stuff is just the amount of regulations that are involved in this industry, the number of hoops you have to jump through, the number of agencies you're responding to, you know, between the ATF, the IRS, the uh, FDA, you know, USDA, I mean, just kind of just all these different groups that you're constantly reporting to and everything else. And so adding this nonprofit layer to it, just added another layer of regulation. To jump through. Yeah. But we aren't the only one. I know of a couple other in the United States that are set up similarly um, for slightly different uh, purposes than ours, but uh, it's definitely a rarity. It's not something that's, you know, happening in mass scale. Part of the charitable efforts. I, I, I know there's two things that you all are trying to do right now because um, you're focusing, you, you are making ciders as well and you're trying to uh, grow an orchard uh, on the farm, right? Yeah, so we just purchased land next to uh, the brewery. So we're hoping we, we, we're hoping to start the uh, growth of that this spring uh, just as a way to expand and that way in the future we can also hold more outdoor events in the location because, I mean, we are on a working farm uh, hmm. In the past, we've opened it up to, you know, brewery tours and things and farm tours a couple of times a year. But it's just, it's not set up really for, you know, public access on the farm itself, which is why we opened the tap room in town. Um, but what we're hoping to do with this new space is to kind of increase that ability to have people come out and visit us and see what we're doing, that sort of thing. And so we're now adding that new layer to it of adding this orchard and vineyard space that will... Uh, help fuel our cidery and winemaking because we opened the brewery in 
2015 and then expanded into uh, cider and winery as well um, in 2017. You mentioned this earlier that there seems to be a connection between beer and dogs. And you know, in thinking about doing this interview with you, I was thinking back to, you know, the way that dogs have been featured on labels in the past. I mean, Smutty Nose had Old Brown Dog and uh, Avery had Ellie's. And, um, you know, there's a lot of brown ales that existed um, uh, around uh, around dogs. But even going back to Spuds McKenzie or Pete's Wicked or the Budweiser Clydesdales, I mean, there's there's been a, a connection uh, between dogs, uh, card-playing dogs on the Yingling labels. Uh, I could probably keep going on and or dedicate a whole new podcast episode to just dogs and beer. Um you took it a step further, though, um, where for a while you, you were accepting uh, charitable donations and putting uh, customers' dogs on a beer label um, and, a, and, a, and a beer yeah. of their choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we did that yeah. kind of as a fundraising opportunity um, to help us purchase the land that we're now going to turn into the orchard. Yeah. And we're, we're thinking about doing it maybe in the future as well as just to help fund you know additional money to the charity. but. I mean, it's you can't understate, you know, people's love for their pets and things like that. I mean, these are our companion animals. They're very much part of our family. And so being able to um, to honor your animal, to have them kind of immortalized on that can art or that bottle arts or, you know, have their name and also know that you're, you know, trying to help further our mission and everything. I think it's something that people were very, very receptive to. I mean, we limited the number we were able to do this time just because we only have so much beer that we're able to make every year on our system that we kind of had to limit it down. But uh, it was, people were very receptive to the idea. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something that we may pursue again in the future as well. And I mean, breweries are just such a community space to begin with and always have been, you know, a meeting place and, people love to bring their pets with them and to sit out and do all that. And so I think, you know, like I said, I think it's just a natural combination. It's worked really well for us. I know that there's some breweries that, you know, they'll have different focuses at different times of year for, di- for different charities or different causes. And um, that can sort of help keep a message fresh or try to, to, you know, get new customers through the door. When, when you're squarely focused on one important cause, and especially being open now for the last couple of years and now with the tap room, I, is it a challenge to continuously remind people or to educate people on what the purpose of the brewery is? Cause I, I mean, obviously there's, there's a need for this, but there's not a lot of, you know, change, um, uh, in the script, I imagine. So do you find it's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of change in the scripts, but we're so small. And so unknown that, you know, our biggest issue right now is just letting people know who we are in the first place, mm-hmm. more so than reminding them. And the, uh, I mean, the animal rescue community in particular is pretty well, you know, tightly knit. A lot of people know each other. A lot of people are passionate about it. And it's one of those things that is such a passionate, such a moral imperative for us personally, um, that I think that part comes a little bit easy. Uh, like I said, I think our problem is being so small and, you know, we don't have the kind of funding, the capital funding and things like that, that really large breweries and things have. And so we don't really have a marketing budget per se. And so we're not spending a whole lot of money on that. So it's like trying to introduce ourselves to more customers, I think is like the harder part more so than 
selling our story because mm-hmm. uh, you know once people find out about us they're very very receptive very supportive of it and um i mean when we opened the tap room you know obviously under not ideal circumstances opening it last year before <laughs> uh, a little bit before thanksgiving okay uh, we had a couple of months so to, welcomed yeah. By the community. yeah we've been so welcomed by our community though that we've moved into here and people i mean we had had the lease signed on our space for a couple of years but it's a new space we were moving into and it wasn't quite ready for us to move into yet. And so it was turned over to us. It was finally ready for us to go in and build the bar and build, you know, the plumbing and electrical and do all the other stuff that we needed to do to finish it out uh, in February of 2020, kind okay. of right at the beginning of the shutdown here in our state. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a mixed bag uh, for sure. Um, our landlord has been wonderful. I've uh, been very supportive in helping us get to that point. Uh, and helping us out for sure. Um, the community, like I said, we're kind of we're on the edge of downtown Carborough, which is already a fairly small town of about fifty thousand people. Sure, but and that so general area of downtown. the state that you're in with Chapel Hill, I mean, there's there's a few breweries around there, and obviously, you know, the the triangle with Raleigh Durham. I mean, it's it's sort of a a a, a, a pretty significant beer area of the state. Yeah, and the state in general is just a very, very supportive of the craft beer industry, the craft, craft distillery, craft wineries, all that. It's, it's a wonderful state to open up in for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And we're right on the edge of downtown, right where uh, the neighborhoods kind of start. Okay. And so we've kind of just fallen into this neighborhood bar position. And we, you know, people walk to and from us from their homes going into town for groceries or food or come in and have a few beers or stop by while walking their dog out on their walks. And so we've, we've got a pretty, I mean, we have had a wonderfully supportive, um, you know, community that has, you know, helped us here because we're only doing outside seating on our patio, which is very weather dependent, obviously. Yeah. And carry out and things like that. But, I mean, we've just, we've been so well received and feel so welcome in the neighborhood that we've, you know, joined in. And we already have repeat customers that we're getting to know, you know, personally and things like that. And so uh, that's kind of the position we wanted to be in in the first place we knew. You know, we're, it's going to take some time for us to grow back up into distro. We just want to be able to make enough to sell out of our tap room at this point. And that's kind of the position we find ourselves in now. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it, it beats the alternative for sure. Um, yeah. yeah I, just as we start to wrap up here, um, you know, if, if there's a home brewer listening who's thinking about going the nano brewing route um, and likes what they hear on the, you know, the nonprofit uh, side of things that you're doing, What's what's a piece of advice that you'd give somebody who's thinking about going pro, but also wants to have an uh, altruistic part of the business? Hire and consult a, uh, a CPA or an attorney, tax attorney. <laughs> we uh, we definitely, you know, I kind of I skipped that part a little bit. You know, having a business background and having worked in the legal field for a while, I knew basically the steps I needed to do. But it would have been so much easier on me setting it up. I think had I hired somebody who had that obvious expertise in that area beforehand. Um, I think that is like the best investment that I should have made that I didn't make. I think that's a, that's a good piece of advice for a brewery of any size. I've, I've heard other folks say that before and, uh, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, Tim, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you, you being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about Dingo Dog Brewing by visiting dingodogbrewing.com. And before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What's your focus beyond beer at your brewery? 
and how do you give back? You can email me at nano at BYO.com. And I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can do us all a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And of course, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in the BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aromas define this blend, crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. Sativa is an ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs, or for any other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine aromatics are desired. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more or call 1-800-374-2739. We're also sponsored by ABS Commercial. ABS Commercial is giving back to the craft beer community. ABS will be selecting one lucky brewery who will receive a free keg Viking keg washer. ABS has given away two keg washers to date. One went to Rough Edges Brewing in Pennsylvania and the other to Lazy Horse Brewing in Nebraska. The third keg washer winner will be announced on June 4th live on the ABS Commercial Facebook page. To enter the contest, visit abs-commercial.com. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. With their turnkey 3.5 gas-fired or electric brew house systems starting at only $16,999, you won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust, so you can focus on what matters. ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And finally, don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up that are of interest to small-scale craft breweries. On February 26th, author John Palmer helps you tackle brewing water adjustments. On March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you yeast techniques and lab skills. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Audra Gazanis of Startup Financials, and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on all three upcoming nano boot camps can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. I'm John Hall. And you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our thanks as always to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for this show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Cheers. Cheers.